Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching the Mandalorian. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I am Vanity Fair special correspondent Anthony Bresnikan. If you've never heard this podcast before, if you're first-time listener, here's what we do. Every week we talk about a new episode of television. Right now we're covering The Mandalorian week by week. We will talk about only about the latest episode. We will not spoil anything that happens in the future. So this week we are talking about Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what, why we think it's called the gunslinger. But, um, yeah, we've got a couple great interviews with, uh, cast and, uh, director in this episode. Anthony's doing all kinds of great interviews for this. So we are thrilled to be talking about, uh, the Mandalorian. I just have like a quick, a few quick things I want to mention before we get into everything, which is, um, number one, the, um, Disney Plus has announced that chapter seven, of this uh, show, which will air in two weeks, is airing a little early. It's airing on the Wednesday instead of the Friday. So just so you guys aren't caught off guard, this is airing a little early. I imagine to get out of the way of the Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not that, you know, I was going to be like, set your DVRs. But obviously, like, that's not how we watch Disney Plus. So no <laughs> DVR to set. But uh the chapter seven will be airing a little early, which means we will be dropping this podcast hopefully a little early for you as well in the week, uh, two weeks from now. And then I also want to just, uh, direct you guys over to vanityfair.com where Anthony has a series of, uh, discussions that he had with JJ Abrams about the rise of Skywalker, um, you know, running up to release some fun stuff in there. Uh, Anthony, what can people find in your conversations with, uh, JJ Abrams about the rise of Skywalker? Well, we got a nice little five episodes 
episode, five chapters, and in, in keeping <laughs> with the uh, Mandalorian theme uh, of, a, of an interview with JJ, we talked about how there are new Force powers that will be revealed in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about um, uh, the return of Billy D. Williams and the sort of long journey and false starts they had trying to get him back into the galaxy far, far away. Uh, I, I, uh, I uh, I put on a bulletproof vest and waded into the Raylo conversation. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know everything. Everything people want to know about Anthony asked those questions of JJ. So um, I'm really glad that we have that coverage over on Vanity Fair. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think we should start, we should start this week's episode, uh, with one of your interviews, Anthony, your interview with, uh, director Bryce Dallas Howard, who directed last week's episode, chapter four. Yes. Um, and Anthony got to discuss that episode with her and some fun baby Yoda stuff. And what, like, you know, is there anything else you want to say before we dive into this great chat you had with Bryce Dallas Howard? Yeah, we're going to get to chapter five, but like, there's still a little to explore about chapter four. Particularly the uh, Baby Yoda soup slurping scene that has uh, become like a tea sipping meme on social media. I wanted to know what was going on in Baby Yoda's head. And she told me she acted out Baby Yoda's thoughts. So that's exactly what she did during the performance, too. She had the puppeteers working and was calling out what Baby Yoda was thinking. And they would kind of uh, react. And it was, uh, I think... As cute as Baby Yoda is, his thoughts are equally as cute. So we'll give that a listen. Here we go. Well, hey, congratulations on the episode. I loved it. I thought it reminded me of, you know, Seven Samurai and uh, uh, the A-Team and all of those stories where, like, people on the run stop to help local townsfolk. And I thought you did a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It's so wild getting to talk about it now because it felt like I was never <laughs> going to be able to talk about it. Yeah. I have quite a few friends who are texting me now and they're like, so when were you going to mention that you were doing this? And I, I was just so afraid of saying anything to anyone. Um, I really did a good job with my non-disclosure agreement and basically concealed it from everyone that I love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was your favorite thing about the episode? You got to do a lot of interesting stuff. They're very quiet moments. There's very sweet moments, very funny moments, lots of, lots of action. I mean, it's an action packed episode too. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I, what I really loved about the episode was the first, um, there's an arc for the first three episodes with the journey of, you know, Baby and Mando, uh-huh. Baby coming into Mando's life, um, Baby leaving Mando's life, Baby coming back into Mando's life, uh, and now they're on the run. And so that's a really complete arc. And with the with Chapter 4, with Sanctuary, it is the first time where it's kind of like a, okay, let's pause and sit where we're at right now and collect ourselves and not kind of add additional story, you know, like story that is um, that's going to be necessary to hold on to for kind of like the whole, um, for the serialized narrative. Mm-hmm. It's more about kind of the episode and the story within the episode and things that we could set up pay off within the episode, which is really, really, really fun to do because it feels like a mini movie, mm-hmm. you know? 
it's not just like, oh, we're setting this up, but it'll get paid off in episode seven, you know? Right. Um, and so, uh, so there, there were quite a few, you know, there were characters like with Omera, for instance, where there was that romance, where it's a, it's a relatively complete journey. And, um, and so for me getting to kind of be like, okay, so let's, play out the rhythm of the beginning, middle, and end of this story, this story, and that story. Mm-hmm. And it's basically Kara and Omera and Baby. And um, and so that that for me was, was just a kind of a delicious amount of plate to spin. Mm-hmm. And then like you said, with the action, um, with with Gina being being our our lead, uh, I mean she's such a formidable athlete herself and mm-hmm. fighter that there was a great chance for me to get to be like, oh my gosh, let's just shoot the crap out of all of that <laughs> because she's not, I don't need to be working, you know, staging things around a stunt double. And in the case of Nando, there's this incredible uh, guy, Latif, who, who does all of Nando's stunts. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, I just want Latif and Gina to basically play and and see what comes out of that. And so to get to work with people who are who have skill sets beyond just playing pretend is um, lends itself to a much, much more uh, kind of ambitious collaboration uh, when it comes to action and whatnot. So that was really, really, really fun. And Car- the Cara Dune character is one you really get to define with your episode. You know, you're inheriting some characters, the, the, the two other leads from uh, from the previous episodes, but you really got to shape her and the people of this town. It, it, did you get a lot of leeway there in terms of what she looked like and how she how she behaved? Yeah, or- yeah, quite a bit um, for Cara specifically with her look. That was something that John brought me in early for to. to- to be a part of that and to work with Gina and just make sure because also she she is an athlete she knows what what she needs to be wearing in order to do the moves that she intended on doing mm-hmm. and so getting to to factor all of those things in and then the hairstyle Kathy Kennedy said something about the hairstyle that I was like oh my gosh this is very important where she said Star Wars characters if you see them from a great distance in a silhouette you know who they are. Hmm. And I was like, oh man, that is so true. And so the silhouette of Cara Dune needed to be specifically Cara Dune. And when we were having this conversation, Deb Chow was directing, and we were just all hanging out in, in Video Village. And Deb, the way she does her hair, the way she kind of gathers it and stuff, she does these like little braids and stuff, and it's just, it's just beautiful. The way she does her own hair. We were we were all talking about this, and then we we looked at Deb's hair. Deb was sitting in front of us, and we're like, like this, like we should do something like this. And we were like, yeah. So Cara Dune's hair is is in part because we knew it would be recognizable in a silhouette, and very much so inspired by Deb Chow's own hair. <laughs> That's she wasn't even she was like fully directing in that moment. She was like, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny because um, that's the second character she inspired. Because Emily Swallow, who plays the uh, the uh, the armorer, said she was like watching Deb on set and noticing like this kind of quiet 
power that she has. She doesn't move around a lot or is very still and focused. And she's like, I, I brought that to the character. So that's now two characters that this one director has inspired. <laughs> I buy it. I buy it. Absolutely. I got to ask you about Baby Yoda. Have you seen the new meme with Baby Yoda drinking the tea or drinking the soup that's going around? <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, what was so funny, what's so funny about that is that that day was, um, we were filming this huge fight, you know, between Mando and Kara, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's just, you know, it's just Gina basically, like, pounding... <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. Mando, who was Latif, who was who was um, doing all of, of um, Mando's fighting, and we were we like did this fight, and we're like, oh, cool, 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 and then we were like, now for the important stuff, baby sipping soup. <laughs> 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 like, spent, like probably an equal amount of time filming every alt version that you could ever possibly imagine of like baby drinks soup and then blinks. Baby drinks the soup with one hand. Baby drinks the soup with two hands. Baby drinks the soup and then tilts his head. Like it's just, baby drinks the soup and flops his ears. Like every possible iteration of baby drinking soup. You have no idea how much stuff we have. That's on the cutting room floor. And was that a real little puppet then or uh, not a visual effect? Yes. 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 An animatronic puppet. So that was something that, that um, I just really stoked about because Legacy um, are the puppeteers and um, and I got to work with them on Terminator and on the first Jurassic so we already had a shorthand oh, okay. and um, and John really wanted to push this puppet and just see what was possible so that we could use the puppet as much as possible um, on screen and uh, and so you know, it was kind of like more is more. Like, just let's see. Let's see what, what happens. If, you know, we can do this, that, or the other. And there were a lot of things that we didn't think would be possible that the puppeteers just figured out, mm-hmm. you know, that we would ask for, and they would be like, let's see. And then they would push it, and, and, and Baby was able to do it. So, um, that we're very proud of Baby. What was the emotion... <laughs> What was the emotion you were going for? Because I'm getting like a kind of bemusement from Baby. Like the Baby kind of wants to see how this is going to play out with the two grown-ups, you know, fighting. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so um, the puppeteers said that that they 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 basically deal with each director differently because mm-hmm. they all have different ways of directing Baby. Mm-hmm. And for me, I basically like. I'm almost like a radio announcer, like saying like what baby is feeling, and then I just poke all these faces. Mm-hmm. So they say that they like listen to what I'm saying, but mostly they just watch my face. <laughs> 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 they know what what baby should be doing. But a moment like that, it's like like what would be happening would would I would be I would be basically on a microphone and I would just be like talking through it, and I would, and so in that moment I would say, baby. Baby is watching them wrestle. It's very strange how these humans wrestle. <laughs> Baby's curious. Baby's a little thirsty. <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. That's good. It takes a sip, 
it it just it's really fun to to uh, to get to talk through babies. That's great. That's perfect. That's exactly what what it, how it read too. Because I got the sense like baby wasn't too worried about whether they were going to hurt each other. It just wanted to see what was going to happen yeah. next. <laughs> yeah, and we wouldn't it felt like everything's under control. <laughs> <laughs> and we wouldn't. Was there any worry by the time you got to your episode about whether baby was going to work for people or not? Like it's become such a phenomenon, but I know John and Dave both said they weren't sure at first whether how it was going to play, whether it would be embraced. Um, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, you worry about all kinds of things when your work is going out there, especially especially when it has to do with uh, um, IP like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that. I mean, I was just so in love with Baby and so excited to share about Baby. Um, I probably was the least least worried about yeah. about Baby, honestly, because it's just it's just so exciting. Like all you want to do is just share yeah. that Baby exists. The- the last thing I want to ask you is um, we wouldn't have gotten that moment if it weren't for the worst babysitter in the galaxy, the waitress played by. Peter Darvish. Yes. Yeah. She, she uh, you know, he pays her and, uh, and he's like, watch the kid. And then the next thing you know, the kid's just walking in the street. Like I, I would love to see like a baby's day out mini series with just her trying to take care of the little green guy. <laughs> like I, tell me about her character. <laughs> Ida is um, Ida is married to Josh Gad. Oh, um, and yeah, <laughs> and Josh is Josh has been best friends with my husband since kindergarten. So Ida and Josh are the godparents of our children, and we're the godparents of their kids. And oh. Ida is like a, a Howard family secret weapon. My dad puts her in everything. She's so freaking hilarious, and I know we were so it was so funny that we were like. Wow, he asked her to take care of baby, and then two seconds later. Yeah. Like, instantly, baby is in the street. I know. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm starting to love that. I do, too. I sort of love that. I really do. And I love it as well because, um, because she's a female proprietor, and one might assume that she would do an excellent job, but no. No. She's <laughs> terrible. She makes an ass out of you and me. That's, uh, Nope, not at all. Maybe he pulled a Jedi mind trick on her or something. I mean, he has force powers after all. But, but I, I, I think she went out for whatever. I also picture her. I picture her turning around and not seeing the baby, and then not really caring either. Like not right. He'll probably. Yep. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. 
The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah, okay, so of all the, uh, of all, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite. Baby Yoda meme. Um, and we should say that they, you know, we talked last week about why there wasn't, uh, Baby Yoda merchandise. And we should say that that Baby Yoda merchandise has dropped. A lot of it isn't available, won't be available until like June, but it's also the Funko Pop, I think is already, uh, sold out of Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, mer- it, the, the waiting, delaying on the merchandising has not seemed to hurt their bottom line in any way. No, no, people still want the Baby Yoda. The Baby Yoda and Popeye's chicken sandwich are the two things of 2019 <laughs> that everybody wants and nobody can get. There you go. Um, uh, do you have a favorite Baby Yoda meme or, or yeah, so far like a GIF or a meme, um, from from our hmm. favorite puppet? I like the one where it's uh where the people are using to express excitement, where he's like rocketing along and is sort of giving you the uh, the uh, oh no expression. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good one. The um. The one that came out of chapter four, which people are using, uh, with the flipping of the switch to do like different pieces of music, uh, on the, on the, uh, Razor Crest radio, I guess, uh, is a fun one. And then, yeah, of course, the tea sipping one, like uh, someone, someone, uh, a friend of mine who is, flipped her lid for baby Yoda, but actually hasn't watched the Mandalorian yet. Sent me the, the bone broth sipping, the tea sipping, uh, image. And she's like, this has to be fake, right? I was like, believe it or not, it's real. She's like, no. So, uh, there we go. Um, I'm not sure there's anything in this episode that will replace those in my heart, but, uh, only time can tell. Sometimes you don't know how powerful, you don't know how powerful a gif or a meme is going to be until, you know, Twitter does its thing with it. So, you know, in the conversation with, uh, with Bryce, you know, we explored an actress that I think, I think deserves more attention. And I hope we see her again in this galaxy, <laughs> like in some sort of galactic storytelling. I think she deserves at least a comic book, maybe her own Disney plus show. Um, and that's the bartender waitress, uh, worst babysitter in the universe <laughs> played by, uh, Ida Darvish who I thought was really funny in last week's episode. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the Mandalorian tasks her with watching baby Yoda and baby Yoda instantly vanishes. And we don't see the aftermath of that, but I'm guessing for that character, she just didn't care. She turned around and said, Oh, he's gone. Well, good luck. <laughs> I, I mean, thought she was get, a lot of fun. <laughs> we get another babysitter in this week's episode. So maybe at the end of the season, we should like rank all the baby Yoda babysitters who did the best job. I mean, obviously Mandalorian, hopefully number one, but um, we'll see if, you know, Amy Sedaris shows up this week to try her hand at Yoda babysitting. So um, yes, and much <laughs> better babysitter, by the way, yes. much, uh, 
uh, more attentive. And she, did she conjure any, any like memories or feelings or like seem to have the energy of another famous sci-fi heroine? Oh, um, oh, is it her hair? It's the hair and yeah. the jumpsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sigourney Weaver, right? Very Sigourney yeah. Weaver. Very Ripley, I thought. I didn't, uh, believe it or not, I did not think of that uh, until you just said it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's what the perm made me think of. You're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Uh, okay. So before we get into that, I just want to circle back to the title, The Gunslinger. Obviously, I think this is, well, um, meant to be a reference to our hotshot young would-be bounty hunter that we meet in this episode. But uh, this is also, of course, the name of a very famous Stephen King novel. You are mm. much more of a Stephen King expert than I am. Do you think that's an intentional King reference in any way? What do you think of the use of the gunslinger here? I don't know if it's an intentional King reference. I haven't heard these guys talk much about Stephen King. But the gunslinger, well, it's the Dark Tower series, but the first book in the Dark Tower series is called The Gunslinger. And it begins... Right. Uh, uh, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. And this episode does end with, I'm presuming a man in black. Right? The, right. The figure that shows up. Maybe. The figure that shows up. Yeah. Seems, seems to have a, a dude walk. So I don't know. Maybe, but then maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> there's a lot of shots in this episode, um, uh, you know, of them fleeing across a desert. So I was like, mm-hmm. maybe it's that. I was, I was thinking about that opening line. I was like, am I reading too much into this? Anyway, if you have any King thoughts, Dark Tower thoughts, gunslinger shot, uh, thoughts, uh, you want to email us still watching pod at gmail.com, uh, or you can tweet at us individually, um, any King thoughts, or maybe I'm overreaching. Maybe it's just what it is. You know? I love a, a good Stephen King reference dropped into other pop culture, but. I think this is a much more a reference to, again, Clint Eastwood, but later sure. Clint Eastwood, not the Dollars trilogy that he did with Sergio Leone, but, uh, but the, uh, Unfor- but Unforgiven, you know, which was his mm. last Western, his sort of last statement on the Western. And, uh, in that film, of course, he's like the, the tired old gunslinger who right. gets recruited to do a job by kind of, by a young guy who wants him, who doesn't have the nerve or the guts to, uh, actually go after the bounty. So, um, that's what happens in, in, uh, in this episode. So Star Wars, a Mandalorian does unforgiven. I love it. I mean, yeah. with far less brutal results, but you know, um, well, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people laying on the ground at the yeah. end of this episode. Yeah. Um, all right. So let us run through what happens in this episode. Uh, we start with a dog fight, uh, which is our first sort of, um, I think it's our first spaceship fight of, um, the Mandalorian. And this is obviously like a classic scenario, uh, in Star Wars. Uh, George Lucas himself was, you know, very enamored of like World War II dogfighting and stuff like that. So you get a lot of that, um, in Star Wars. How did this stack up, uh, with some of the famous Star Wars, uh, dogfights for you? Well, dogfights in space are very hard because you don't have any sense of speed, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So unless you're dogfighting over the surface of, a planet or uh like a, the texture of like a star destroyer or something it's very hard you're just kind of zipping around through blackness you know and uh i thought this was pretty good it, but i don't think the point of it was to thrill you with like a great chase or whatever it felt very utilitarian like let's get the mandalorian's ship 
damaged again and uh, make him have to land somewhere and pull over. And, uh, you know, that, that, that guy who was tailing him didn't last long. He got no. one quip and then boom. So it wasn't, I don't think the point of it was to do like an elaborate thrilling chase. Right. He tries to steal the Mandalorian's line, this line that we called out from the first episode, which we like really liked. And he tried to say it. And the Man- Mandalorian's like, no, no, that's my thing. That's uh-uh. my <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, he lands on Tatooine. Now, like mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago, I tried to make the argument that we had already seen Tatooine. You're like, no, no dice, Joanna. And then, but here we are. It's Tatooine time. Uh, this is a very, we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but this is a very, in, in my view, the most nostalgia heavy episode of The Mandalorian so far. Um, but we're also dead in the middle of the season. And so I think if this had been the first episode of The Mandalorian, I would have been really worried about the show leaning a little too hard on these like a, a new hope slash phantom phantom menace references that we see throughout the uh the episode mm-hmm. but given that it's in the middle it bothers me way less i'm just sort of like i already know the mandalorian can explore these other worlds so okay fine we're we're on tatooine this is going to please a lot of people and that's fine with me what did you think of of the use of tatooine here i liked it i thought it's been a while since we've been back, and anytime you go back to your hometown, you're going to see some townies, and you're going <laughs> to, you know, see some familiar places. Uh-huh. Uh, so they go across the Dune Sea, they run a, across some some sand people. Uh, I guess that's not okay to say. That's canceled. Uh, <laughs> they are now Tuscan, Tuscan Raiders. Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought uh, I thought the Tuscan Raiders were going to come back into it. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't. It's funny because, uh, like, we get, this is the thing about this episode is like, it almost seems like they're there then to just be like, hey, remember how they're in A New Hope? And remember how the first time you see them is Luke looking through his binoculars? Uh, it's almost like a, the exact same shot in this episode as Luke looking through his binoculars in a new hope. Um, And so, yeah, it almost seems like that's why it exists. It exists to remind you that you're in the same universe. You know, I would have liked a slightly longer episode. I think Mm. it felt a little short and um, I thought the Tusken Raiders would have been a great opportunity for them to, because what I liked was the, the, uh, the Mandalorian didn't blast them. You know, he was right. like, this is, we're strangers to them. They think everybody, like, colonizing this planet is the outsider. So um, let's just be friendly and let's make a trade to cross their land rather than, like, kill them. Uh, so I was like, that's cool. That's a good right. way to be. Right. And if we're going to use the, uh, like, you know, the constant sort of Western parallel, this would be like, you know, if, if we meet a gunslinger character in an old Western who like speaks a native American language or something like that and doesn't, you know, doesn't, is not prejudicial against them is very aware that he is in their territory. He is the intruder. You know, do you think he was speaking American sign language there? I don't know. I don't speak. uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't speak. You don't know. I don't know. know. But it seemed, I like the idea that they speak through sign language. Like that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And like, um, 
the to to contrast that with like how he went in guns blazing with the with the Jawas, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, yeah, because they stripped his ship. But knowing mm-hmm. that that's not how the Mandalorian approaches every, you know, sort of potentially hostile, uh, you know, being that he encounters in the galaxy mm-hmm. is nice to know about him. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we get to the Tuscan Raiders, right, we go to the Mos Eisley Cantina, one of the most famous, uh, locations, uh, in all of Star Wars. Uh, in, in A New Hope, we've got a human behind the bar and he goes, we don't serve your kind in here, right, to some droids. Uh, but there's a droid behind the bar at the Mos Eisley Cantina. What do you, what do you make of that, Anthony? Times change, man. It's been yeah. a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Progress, man. Uh, I don't know if this is like a sign of, you know, uh, good ch- positive changes in the galaxy for the rebellion. I mean, the Mandalorian himself is still very prejudicial against droids. He doesn't want them working on his, on his, uh, on his car. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're tenant bar at the cantina. So I thought business seemed a little sparse at the cantina. You it's know, true. when Luke visited it, that place was jumping, man. There was a band. <laughs> you know, it's crowded. People were having a good time. A lot of party people. Werewolf in the back. You know, it was great. It seemed very like. Eh, well, and most likely in general, yeah. yeah, most likely in general, it seemed pretty uh, sparsely populated. We we had like all those stormtrooper helmets on spikes. Um, a cool shot that was in like all the trailers for the Mandalorian, but it wasn't as bustling uh, as it was on, in A New Hope. So. um uh, yeah, but we do meet this, so we meet this character, I, I believe his name is Toro Calican, is what I wrote down. That's right. Played by Jake Cannavale, uh, and he's sitting in Han's booth, is he not? Like... Sure looks like it. Yeah, with his feet up on the table, trying to, like, trying to do his best Han, basically. Uh, but this is, like, budget Han. This is, this is no Han. That's no moon. That's no Han. Like, uh, this is, you know, this is a kid who doesn't make it through the episode. Um, what do you make of this character and, and the role he plays? You already mentioned Unforgiven, but, like, what do you, what do you make of, of why they've given this, the Mandalorian, this kind of character to bounce off of. He's, he's, uh, in the hero's journey, he's the callow youth. You know, he's Luke Skywalker, just a different type of personality. Mm. He's the inexperienced young dude, wants to prove himself, wants adventure, ready to go for it, but is undone by his own hubris. He's smart enough to know he can't take Fennec Shand on, on his own. Not smart enough to know that he shouldn't tangle, uh, with uh, his partner or betray his partner that that's going to turn out badly for him. So, yeah. you know, um, I have to admit distress over Fennec Shand though. Should we move on to that or should we keep talking about Toro Calican? I thought the name <laughs> is cool too. A lot of yeah. interesting names here. Peli Moto is the character Amy Sedaris is playing. Mm-hmm. Moto is Spanish for quake, you know, yeah. Terremoto, yeah. Uh, earth shaking. And, uh, and this, you've got like a other kind of, Spanish word Toro, like a bull, like a bullish know? thing. Yeah, he's very and bullish. Then, and Calican reminds me of Caliban from um, uh, the uh, from the Tempest. Yeah, you know, sort of the wild, uh, the wild man. And uh, he, uh, I thought it's funny. He, Jake Cannavale's performance reminded me a little bit of Anakin Skywalker. His line readings and all that. He just felt very. 
Too big uh, for his britches constantly. Bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I, I thought he did a good job, though. He's the son of Bobby Cannavale, the actor, and Jenny Lumet, the screenwriter. I don't think anyone has like a better Hollywood pedigree than Jake Cannavale, because right, like that means he's related to Sidney Lumet, and he's also related mm-hmm. to Lena Horne. I was like, who isn't this kid related to? Awesome. Uh, cool family tree, man. Very yeah, yeah. badass. But he looks he looks a lot like his dad, like Bobby Cannavale. A lot like his dad. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, you're right. Like, I don't know that I wish this episode were longer. I wish we had two. Ep- I think we they we should have spent two episodes on okay. Tatooine. And I, you know, either way, an hour on Tatooine, basically. And I, we can move on to Fennec Shand. I would have, you know, you wrote this. You had this great conversation with Ming Na Wen, which, who, which we will run at the end of this episode. We were both really excited that Ming Na Wen was on this show. If this is the end of her, uh, which it kind of seems like it is, if this is just like a short appearance, like I would have really dug like a whole long night with the Mandalorian and Fennec Shand, like sitting up against some rocks trading, uh, trading barbs or something like that. You know what I mean? I think there's real potential for a character like this. I mean, the Mandalorian is a very action heavy show, but I really feel like with a performer like Ming-Na Wen, with a character as like, coiled like there's this just coiled power in her and i feel like we like we could have gotten some fun mind games out of her what, do you, what a, do you think and she's a chatterbox too she's a talky kind of gunslinger yeah character you know uh she's the kind that uh gets in your head and scrambles things around and you know the mandalorian is a very quiet dude strong silent type i like that she when she was captured as soon as she began to talk to the kid to Toro, I just thought, oh, he's done. Yeah. She's, she's picking the lock, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by way of, of going through his brain. Of course, underestimating how ruthless he was. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, that, that type you describe reminds me a lot of, um, Russell Crowe's character in 310 to Yuma. Um, I haven't seen the original 310 Yuma, so that's the only version that I know, but you know, he's like, he's just slowly working at you, chipping away at you, like fireside by fireside in, in the cuffs, you know, like even if it wasn't, or, or even like, um, on a lighter note, like sort of egret and game of Thrones and sort of the, the job she does on Jon Snow when she's, when her hands are tied, like th- this kind of character that can just eat away at, at your insecurities, at your thoughts, all this sort of stuff, even while their hands are tied next to you is, is a real, there's a real potential there. And it just sort of, it was, it was over too quickly for my taste. I would have, I would have loved more of it. So yeah, I want, I want more of her. And I don't know. We see this mystery figure walk up to her. Yeah. Her body at the end. She seems to be deceased. But damn, I hope she's all right. Bring her back, man. She was cool. She was too maybe, cool. Maybe she has some Baskar in her because there's so much made in this episode of like how the Mandalorian's Baskar like repels all these shots. So maybe that's, you know, um, maybe, maybe she's, but we already saw Grief Karga survive. Uh, think some, some Biscar. So it would be kind of silly to do that trick again. So I don't I know. Guess. I, mean, I guess I just, I thought, I think there's way too much potential for that character yeah. to just vanish like this. So I don't know. 
would, I would like to have seen her eyes open at the end of it. Let's I know. That That's what I was expecting. When, when the like, uh, spurs a jangling, this like mystery figure comes up to her. I was like, Oh, she's not really dead. Great. And then she didn't move. And so like, maybe we'll get that reveal in the next episode or maybe whoever that person is, is going to be avenging her. Um, we don't know who that person is. Uh, do you have any guesses? Hmm. I I always hate to guess because then you never quite know. Um, but I think. Um. Uh, what do you? Who do you think it is? Okay, I'll say. I'll say we have not met Giancarlo Esposito's character yet. Well, that's right? what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah, But he also seems to roll with a, a big entourage. So yeah, and doesn't that's seem why like. The spur jangling type, so you know. I That's don't know. why I was thinking it wasn't. But is there anyone else that we know is in the season that we haven't met yet? Bill Burr. He wears sort of oh. a black outfit too. I could see him like jingling and jangling. That's true. It's true. All right. So uh, you know, we'll we'll keep our eye out. But yeah, Giancarlo, Bill Burr. Uh, or maybe someone who hasn't even been announced yet. Like, that's the thing about, um, you know, Anthony and I loaded up the episode today and both of us, uh, had a moment of Amy Sedaris. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of surprises waiting for us in the Mandalorian. So it took me know. a moment with her because Amy Sedaris never looks like Amy Sedaris it's in true. anything she plays. She's always got like a ton of crazy makeup on or is playing like an insane character. And, uh, and so on this, I was like, oh, who is that? She looks so familiar. And then I'm getting the Ripley vibes. And also, wait, is that the voice is what finally did it? I'm like, oh, that's, yeah, she always that's sounds Amy like Amy Sedaris. She yeah, does yeah. always sound like Amy Sedaris. <laughs> it's true. Um, I just also want to, um, run through some references that I picked up and I'm sure I missed some, but I just thought I'd run through since this episode is so, what I think is interesting about this episode is very like nostalgia heavy, like, um, remember tattooing sort of episode, but it's equal parts. I think Phantom Menace and A New Hope. Like there's a lot of prequel stuff or at least a significant amount of prequel stuff in this episode. Um, and, and that's a, that's a question mark around Star Wars is like, how often are they gonna, it reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of how Avengers Endgame has this huge section that's about Thor the Dark World. Right. And it's They're like, just you, like, you're gonna have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't write this off. You can't pretend this didn't happen. This happened. So we get immediately, like right at the top of the episode, we get these pit droids. Um, that we, I believe, first met in Phantom Menace. They're like pod racing droids, right? Um, who are helping out Amy Sedaris and her, in her shop, um, on Tatooine. Now, so. do you think that docking bay is the same one where, uh, Luke and Obi-Wan first laid eyes on the Millennium Falcon? Ooh, maybe. I mean, it like. The geography is the same, but then I'm thinking, well, maybe there are a lot of similar, like, loading bays. There's like that device, a little tan, device that has some sort of vent on it and a green and red light is right by the door where it was originally. We should have to like look at it side by side to see. I think it might be. (laughs) Excellent. At the very least, very, it's, it's, it's like one of those houses in a development. It's exactly like one of the other houses. (laughs) So. All made a ticky tacky and they all look the same. That's right. <laughs> um, we already talked about the cantina, the most Eisley cantina, Hans like booth, et cetera. Uh, we know that Fennec Shannon, uh, works for the top crime syndicates, including the huts. 
So, you know, a little, a little hut reference in there. Um, and then, uh, when, when, uh, when Toro gives the, shows Mando the, their ride, you know, and he, and Mando's like a little disappointed by how kind of broke down these speeders look, he goes, what do you expect? This isn't Corellia, right? Uh, right. Corellia being, uh, a Rogue One location, or no, sorry, a solo location. It's where Han Solo's from. Um, but it's where they build like a lot of ships in Star Wars, right? That's like a thing. Corellia yeah, it's like a shipyard. It's like yeah. Liverpool or something. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, I guess you could get a much nicer, uh, piece of machinery from Corellia. Um, we talked about the Tuscan Raiders, the Binox, the Dewbacks, uh, Tatooine critter there. Um, and then, I mean, when the Mandalorian says that Fennec Shan has the high ground, I mean, that feels like a, that's a very Revenge of the Sith Revenge of the Sith too. reference. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, also, he says yeah. uh, she's no good to us dead, which is what Boba Fett says uh, when they're about to freeze Han Solo. Right. Perfect. Um, and then we get something. I mean, I tried to look this up, and um, it's hard sometimes when you don't have closed captionings and you don't know how they're spelling things necessarily in this episode, but... Um, they basically Fennec Shan says that the place where the Mandalorian tussled with the with the bounty hunters was Navarro. And I don't believe we've had that location name before. At least I couldn't find it um in any of the wikis or anything like that. Um and so it looks like that's the name of that location where we met the client and Grief Karga is Navarro. Do you do you think that that is spelled like Dave Navarro? How would you? you I think? would N A V A R R O. Yeah, maybe. Okay. I hope that's like a little present for Dave. Um, and then, oh yeah, this is another thing. So, you know, you you wrote this great article. You had this great first look at Ming No Wen in the series, and in that trailer, she says your name will be legendary. And we all assume she's talking to the Mandalorian, but that was a little trick of the trick of the edit. Because she's mm-hmm. talking to Toro uh, when she says that. Um, so. Very much a misdirect. Mm-hmm. A misdirect. And, like, obviously, his name will be legendary because that kid did not make it through this episode. Um, and I think I think that's it. Oh, Mos Espa. She talks about going to Mos Espa, which is where um, the pod racing happens in Phantom Menace. I just think of MC Chris and yes. his nerdcore rap. Cruising Mos Espa in my DeLorean. <laughs> War's over. I'm a piece of Mandalorian. Yeah. We gotta work on this. <laughs> uh, my backpacks got jets. Boba. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great, great my line. That's my favorite for Java Hut to finance my vet. <laughs> um, that's my favorite of the uh, the Baby Yoda plays music memes that I saw. Someone did it with um Fett's with MC Chris. 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 Yeah. Oh, nice. Pretty beautiful. Um, alright, so I think those, those are all the, the main references of the episode. And like, thematically, um, I'm trying to think of like, if there's like a really good thematic sort of thing that we could pull out of this episode. And the best I came up with is there's a couple times when people talk about having a team or a partner. Like, Toro says it to the Mandalorian, he's like, you're stuck with me now, partner, you know, when he, when he bashes, uh, his little like, a, Bounty under puck fob, tracking fob against the wall, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, Fennec Shan tries to like make a partner out of him. That doesn't work out. And then, um, Amy Sedaris's character basically 
calls baby Yoda her partner. She's like, well, I'm going to charge for babysitting. So like, we're a team now. You're my partner. And so I don't know if, if, if that's intentional, but it feels like this episode is trying to, um, you know, last week we had, um, Gina Carano's character as a very like, uh, natural partner for the Mandalorian. And in this, this week's episode, we've got just a lot of like, much more tenuous partnerships in this episode. So I don't know if that, if that feels like stretching, if that feels like a theme this episode hit. What do you, do you have any thoughts on that? All right. I'm going to pull out like something like an okay boomer reference here, but like it just reminds me of Bob Dylan and one of the greatest lines he ever wrote, which is to live outside the law, you must be honest. And I think with Cara Dune, Gina Carano's character, you know, and the Mandalorian, they're both on the run. They're both outside the law. But when they say we're partners, we're going to work together, they do it. And there's no backtracking on that. Right. And this is an episode full of double crosses. Yep. And it just shows uh, that if you aren't honest, then you don't live outside the law, at least not for very long. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I think the Mandalorian has a code. He has some honor. It was represented by his uh, refusal to just shoot the Tusken Raiders. He will bargain with you as far as that'll get him. And uh, he'll fight you if he has to. He'll kill you if you give him no other choice. But I think he, above all, the reason he's the hero is that he's honest. And, he, you know, he paid Pelimoto like all all the money he got off the off Toro he gave to her. So, you know, there's yeah, there is some kind of code operating here. Um, I love that. I, I think that's a good read on it. Uh, so that is that is this episode. Uh, before we go to your conversation with Mignon, I want to hit up one last reference, of course, which is one of the last lines of the episode. Uh, where Pelimoto, uh, references Beggar's Canyon, which, of course, is, uh, what, uh, something that Luke references. That's where Luke, uh, Luke sort of learned how to uh, fly, right? Beggar's Canyon. And the That's tattoo. right. Bullseyeing womp rats. <laughs> uh, so that is it. That is chapter five. Uh, not my favorite chapter of, of the season so far. Um, but maybe laying the ground for some, maybe, maybe the death of Fennec Shan is going to ripple through this, uh, season in ways we can't anticipate, or maybe she's not dead and that's what we're hoping for. Um, but let us in, uh, in that vein, in the hope of more from her, let's go to your conversation, uh, with Ming-Na Wen. Yeah. And I would preface this by saying we had this conversation before, uh, anybody even saw Fennec Shan. So now, uh, uh, I think, it, but I still think it has value as a little bit of insight into how they crafted her look, especially what they were going for, the real life creature from our world that inspired her design and her attitude. And, uh, you know, a fennec fox is, uh, both predator and prey. And I think that fits really nicely with her character, but I do hope we see her again. Rise, rise, fennec shan. <laughs> Come back to us. Come back to us. <laughs> but at the very least, here's Ming Na Wen talking about the character. Uh, thank you for talking to me about your character. I am so excited to be, we're going to be able to reveal you and show, uh, oh, a me little too. Bit of, uh, who you're playing. And well, tell me about, um, I understand she's an assassin. Um, yeah. what can you tell me about her costume? You know, um, I'm glad I'm able to talk about, uh, we got our inspiration really from the name, you know, her name is Fennec, um, Shand, S H 
A-N-D. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, and, and like the idea of the Fennec, Fennec the Fox, you know, came to mind. And uh, so I was talking a lot about it with Dave and John and, um, and you know, just really like that idea, you know, that she's this assassin and that she's tricky and yet she's able to maneuver and survive and, um, and be stealth. Mm-hmm. So just I just love and you know very very uh, also graceful and you know agile and so we, I just love that whole image with the name mm-hmm. and whether that's her real name or whether that's her nickname because of it you know it, it was just started spawning all these ideas. Well, you know at first um, uh, the idea was uh, maybe just have her hair be loose, unkept. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing, and uh, and I thought, well, she's going to be wearing a helmet, and she's this, you know, stealth assassin. I I thought, you know, how great would it be if her hair almost had like a bit of the Fennec the Fox kind of architecture to it, a bit, you know. So so we, uh, me and the hairstylist came up with this great like braiding system that just kind of like gives an idea of these uh, triangular points. Like ears, um, like ears. Yeah, yeah, like her ears, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, and John loved it. Dave loved it. And and for me, it's just it gives her such a strong, unique um, look, you know. And also because I've been doing, you know, Agent May all these years with long, flowing Marvel hair, um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make this character, who's also such a badass, mm-hmm. different. You know, very different, very um, stark in a way. And so, you know, we came up with, like, you know, these cool braids and, and things and ideas with what we can put into the braids. And um, and then um, the designer, Joseph, came up with this amazing outfit that I fell in love with right away. You know, they, I mean, I just saw pictures of it in the beginning and, and, uh, and you know, it's, it, it's really cool. It's, it's, of course, there's black, but then there's the Fennec orange. There's an orange punch to it. So that's kind of like her, um, uh, what is it, brand, I guess? Yeah, trademark, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so for me, I, I just think it was so much fun to, like, participate and, and you know, help with uh, just feeling out who this new character is in, in my favorite all-time genre, you know, the Star Wars um, legacy. Yeah. This, this, are you a big Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. I grew up on it. I mean, all those summers. Uh, hello. Like, that was my generation. <laughs> you know, we. what's funny is, like, we lived with the toys. We saw the movies. But then, like... You know, back in the day, you'd see the movie once and then wait for it to come on TV, you know, and, and the toys were... Yeah, if it comes on TV. Yeah, then the to- yeah. but the toys were a way to live with that story and play the characters and, like, all my like all my best friends I made through Star Wars. My kids today love Star Wars. <laughs> so, no, so I like, know. I know. It, it's mm-hmm. definitely a film that has had such an impact, you know, in, in so many people's lives, including my own. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up as an Asian woman, an Asian kid in Pittsburgh, and especially in Mount Lebanon, um, you know, sometimes you you feel very alone and very uh, uh, 
uh, isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I think for me, Star Wars just, like, I connected so much with Luke about having these dreams and wanting something bigger and better than being a, you know, a little f- farmer in, in, um, in Tantooine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then just, that image of him looking at the binary signs and wishing for more, it's, it always stays with me. So, so the fact that I am now in the Star Wars uh, shot is amazing. <laughs> well, I want to ask you, I hope it's not a tiresome question, but you mentioned, you know, being an Asian woman or being an Asian girl back then. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we have, uh, you know, we have Rose Tico, uh, played by Kelly Marie Tran and, and we, yes. uh, have, uh, uh, Christopher Sean doing, uh, the character on resistance and like, but, but this is, um, I feel like this is still significant and important. Does, does it feel important to you to continue expanding the representation of, of human beings? There's so many aliens in the galaxy. There need to be more different kinds of humans too. It doesn't there. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and it, it is interesting to me because then, in uh, when when they were doing a lot of um uh you know the the first second and third of course mm-hmm. right our, our ours is ours is always the first second and third but now we're relegated to the fourth fifth and sixth <laughs> 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 but um you know the, there were so many influences of like the asian costume yeah. costumes that um you know that she wore um um, um, why am I blank? Oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie Portman's character. Pa- um, pa- Padma Amidal. Pa- Padma. Yes, thank you. See, I told and, you I was a Star um, Wars fan. <laughs> I know, I know you're more than me right now. Yeah, I, my brain's not working. Oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> I get it. But, um, you know, there was all this, like, incredible... Uh, Images, but yet there were very few Asians mm-hmm. <laughs> in the uh, yeah in the um, film. So it was very nice to see, you know, Tran in it, and um, and uh, now you know I'm part of it. Mm-hmm. Any any sort of representation is important and necessary, and uh, I'm just happy that you know I got chosen. Now, like it was meant to be. Are you able to say, is she light side, dark side, you know, good guy, bad guy, uh, somewhere in the middle? Oh, well, I, I would think, you know, thinking that she's a mercenary, mm-hmm. it can, of course, go either way. I mean, Han Solo was a mercenary. Um, right. I, uh, I, I think it remains to be seen. Okay. I really do. <laughs> but, but definitely, uh, yeah. but not soft. It doesn't sound like she's a very, like, uh, she doesn't sound like a, like a, a sweetheart type, right? She's, it doesn't sound like a. No, no, she's definitely not that. She is definitely someone who is, you know, she's loyal to herself. Yeah. Yeah. So mercenary yeah. and assassin, that's different than a bounty hunter. You know, bounty hunters bring people back. Uh, it sounds like mm-hmm. she's, she's more of like a, like a, a hitman. Is that a good way of thinking? Yeah. 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 You can, you can definitely, um, I, I think you can definitely re- reference that for sure. That there is, uh, that that is part of who she is mm-hmm. and what she's capable of 
doing. So it sounds like there's a little part of, as he's on his journey, he encounters you. So I guess we'll have to wait to see whether you're friend or foe. And maybe that'll, even mm-hmm. during, maybe even during your story, it'll, <laughs> it'll evolve and change, but, um, it will evolve, it will change, you know, I mean, I think that's what's so wonderful about, you know, creating a new character is, uh, yeah, you, you create that character's origin story. And, uh, I, I get very excited about that. I mean, I think, I think she has a good sense of humor, um, about it all, you know, as well, which, uh, which is also fun. She's, um, you can't really pinpoint, like, which direction she's going to go. You know, which, which I like. And I think that's very fox-like of her, you know. Um, so I, I, you know, that, that's the part, that's the part that I love. And you, and you do know, like, the force is one of my religions, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, you know, know, foxes, (laughs) foxes are, are pretty sly predators, but they're also, you know, they're often killed themselves. So are you, is that mm-hmm. part of it? Is she hunted? Is she hunting or is she hunted? Hmm, that's a good question too. <laughs> um, hmm. or is it a little of both? I don't think so. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think she would be. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see what what happens. <laughs> very good. Well, very good. Um, yeah, Ming, it was so yeah. great. I'm... It makes it more intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, that does it for us uh, for Chapter 5. We will be back next week with Chapter 6. Until then, Anthony, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Bresnikan. You can find me as well on VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Um, Anthony and I are planning uh, some kind of podcast discussion about the rise of Skywalker, which we will be seeing uh, somewhat soon. And, you know, we want to want to keep talking Star Wars for you. So maybe in this feed, maybe over on Little Gold Men, but one of the Vanity Fair podcasts will have our discussion of the final Skywalker uh, saga installment. Um, but before that, we will be back talking about chapter six of The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations sparking movements and breaking barriers for over a decade the new three-part docuseries black twitter a people's history based on the groundbreaking wired cover story by jason parham explores everything from the fun games and inside jokes that characterize the early years of black twitter to the social movements the voices and the hashtags that made black twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of american political culture join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community tracing its origins celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.